Well, shalom, everybody. Thank you. We can do better than that, right? Let's say shalom, everybody. It is such a great honor and a privilege for me to be here with you all, to be here at Calvary. Um, Absolutely, our partnership um, have been for a long time, and it's really uh, because of you, because of your prayers, because of your support, because of us coming together and partnering that we're able to do um, what it is that we do, bringing the gospel to Jewish people, Jewish people in Israel, Jewish people all over the world. So um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, coming alongside us and for partnering with us in bringing the gospel to our Jewish people. Like uh, Pastor mentioned, I serve with a ministry called Jews for Jesus. And Jews for Jesus, we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. Now, the plan of salvation that God has for Jewish people is exactly the same plan of salvation that He has for all people. That plan of salvation is also is only through the gospel, only through faith in the Messiah of Israel, Messiah Jesus, who came, died for our sins, and rose on the third day. So it's only through Jesus. And in Jews for Jesus, we like to say that we have three pillars of ministry that we use to share the gospel with Jewish people. First pillar of ministry is go and tell, where we go and share the gospel. It may be on the streets, it may be online, but that's our proclamation ministry of sharing the good news of Messiah Jesus. Second pillar of ministry is come and see, where we we host different events, where we open the doors and we invite seekers to come and see what it means to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And whatever event we're doing, it's always so that we can engage them with the message of the gospel. And third and finally, our pillar of ministry of love and serve, where we want to not just communicate the gospel in words, but also in deeds by loving our neighbors, by loving and serving them. Now, 2020 has been an amazing year, hasn't it? It's been a year like no other. And you know, despite all the problems and issues that we're facing here in this country, really all over the world, and not just with COVID, but also all the political unrest and so on, I want to show you what God has been doing in the land of Israel because of your prayers, because of your support as we've partnered together. So let's play that video right now. Shalom from Israel. At Jews for Jesus, we have three distinct ways that we reach people with the love of the Messiah Jesus. By proclaiming the gospel to communities that may otherwise never hear it, by inviting people to come and see what it looks like to be Jewish and believe in Jesus, and by following the Messiah's example by loving and serving isolated and impoverished Jewish communities. In Israel, less than half a percent of Jewish people know Jesus as their Messiah. Together, we're working to change that reality one person at a time. This year, we knew we couldn't allow the challenges of the pandemic to prevent us from reaching those in need of the life-changing message of the gospel. So we adapted our methods, and what we saw God do was incredible. Since we couldn't proclaim the gospel message on college campuses, at public events, or on the streets, we took it online. In Israel, for every 100 people, there are 122 computers, the highest person-to-computer ratio in the world. Israelis also spend more time on Facebook and YouTube 
than any other country does. In lockdown, this trend has only increased. In just a few months, the videos our new media team created were viewed by Israelis over a half a million times. Thousands of gospel seeds have been planted. Pray with us that God will cause them to grow and that they bear fruit. With social distancing restrictions, limiting attendance at our evangelistic events, we went outdoors. We sent a team to the local Israel Nation Trail to share the gospel. In just a few short weeks, our team was able to share from the gospel with 645 Israelis and give out 19 Hebrew New Testaments. Praise God. Pray with us for these Israelis, many of whom are young and disillusioned with traditional Judaism, that they might come to see that Yeshua is the truth they're searching for. The last way that we reach the people of Israel with the gospel is by loving and serving those in need. God used the pandemic restrictions to provide new opportunities to serve. It is estimated that there are 25,000 people who are homeless in Israel, and social services are equipped to serve under 10% of them. Tel Aviv hosts the largest concentration of homeless people in the country. With soup kitchens shut down and many shelters at full capacity, the threat of coronavirus is compounded by the threat of people on the street dying of malnutrition and weakened immune systems. When shelter in place started, it felt like we were out of options. But God gave us a new idea. If people couldn't come to the soup kitchen, we could bring the soup kitchen to them. A food truck would allow us to serve more people in need. Our ministry partners jumped in to help, and in just a few months, we got the truck fully operational. We now serve 180 people every week, providing them meals and fresh water, and sharing with them the message of living water that can be found in knowing the Lord. Stand with us in prayer for those in Israel who are in desperate need of help and of hope. The salvation of this entire world is connected to the salvation of Israel. The story of redemption that God has been staging since the beginning of human history will not be complete until His plans for the Jewish people are fulfilled. We can't stop proclaiming the gospel in the land of Israel until we see God's promises fulfilled. These efforts, these stories of hope, would not be possible without you. You can make an eternal impact today with your continued generosity and prayers. Let's continue to lift up the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, in His holy land of Israel together. Go to www.j4j.co/partner to learn how you can partner with us further in pursuing God's plan of salvation for the Jewish people. Amen. Our heart in Jews for Jesus is so tied to your hearts here at Calvary as well, because at the end of it, we're all about the same thing. We're all about the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. And you know, that's what it's really all about for us in Jews for Jesus, making disciples. Ari was born and raised in Jerusalem. He was an Orthodox Jew raised in a closed community, but as he was growing older in his teenager years, he really felt the deadness that is among Orthodox Jews. It didn't make sense to him, all the rules and regulations, and he left that community, became a secular Jew, and at that point in his life, he met Christina. Christina is not Jewish. She moved to Israel for work. 
She's a Christian, but she wasn't really following the Lord either. But when she met, um, when she met um, Ari, she sensed that she needed to bring him to a church service. So she invited him, even though it wasn't her home church. She wasn't really attending church, but they went. And Ari really didn't like what was happening in that church, but he really liked Christina. <laughs> so the two of them started a relationship, and later on they got married. And after they got married, they left Jerusalem and moved to Tel Aviv. And after they moved to Tel Aviv early on in their marriage, Christina really felt God's prompting, and she decided to rededicate her life to the Lord, and she started attending our home congregation in, in, in Petah Tikva, just outside of Tel Aviv, the congregation that I was pastoring. And that's where I met for the first time Ari and Christina, and we started to build a relationship with them, and I started to meet with Ari regularly. He had a lot of questions. And we started studying the Bible together week after week. And what a joy, what a privilege it was when Ari um, was ready to pray with me to receive the Lord. And a few um, months later, after further discipleship, Ari was ready to take the step of faith and to be baptized. That's right, him right there in the picture. So it's so exciting. And even Orthodox Jews are coming to faith in Messiah Jesus. And like I said, this is all due to our partnership together as we bring the gospel to people. And it's my privilege to be here this morning and to share with you. Let's continue to partner together. Right there on your pew where you're sitting down, you should have one of these cards. If you can take it out, I would appreciate it. Please fill out your name and address, your email address as well. And this is your way of signing up to receive our newsletter. I want you to get our newsletter either via email or via post so that you would know how to pray for our ministry. Prayer is the secret weapon of evangelism, and we need God's people to be praying for us. So please fill this out, and then drop it in the black box um, when you leave church this morning. Now, um, if you'd like to give financially, um, we would appreciate that as well. All the gifts, the offering in its entirety is going to go to bring the gospel to our people in Israel today. And please use this card to give. Indicate the amount um, of your gift on this card so that we could properly receipt you. And thank you for your gifts. For those of you online, you can just go to j4j.co slash dsa um, to give and to sign up for our prayer um, updates, for our prayer newsletter. Again, we need you to be praying for us. Would you please pray for the ministry of Jews for Jesus as we bring the gospel to our Jewish people um, around the world? Would you please pray for our family as we transition, we continue to transition to New Jersey and, you know, changing schools for my boys from Israel um, to here has been quite difficult, so would appreciate your prayers and especially would you please remember to pray for our daughter, Yael. She's the one with the green army uniform. And she hasn't moved to, to the States with us because she's still serving in the Israeli Defense Force. So would you please pray for her as she is serving the Lord in the Israeli Defense Force. Thank you so much. It is such a privilege to be partnering together in bringing the gospel. Now, I don't know about you. 
But I have really enjoyed this holiday season. I hope that you have as well. Let me say Happy New Year. And as we look to this year, to 2021, and of course there is a lot of uncertainty. We really don't know much, but God is sovereign. But what I thought that would be helpful today is if maybe we would look at God's plan for the year. You know, God gave Israel... A calendar. He gave them some feasts. And today I want you to see the gospel in those feasts that God gave Israel. With the feasts that God was giving to Israel, he was painting a picture. I think that Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel ceiling is one of the most beautiful, complicated works of art ever created by man. Well, God was giving Israel, and through the feast, I think, an even more beautiful picture. And an even more beautiful picture than in this great ceiling. I think that God was giving Israel a picture of the gospel. So, and if you've got your Bibles, open with me to the book of Leviticus. And open your Bibles, or turn on your Bibles, whatever it is we do. We go, whatever it is we do today, and, and we're going to study the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Now, when was the last time that you heard a sermon from the book of Leviticus, huh? And let me give you a little bit of background. Leviticus, of course, is in the Torah. It's the third book in the Bible, and of course, it was written by Moses. And then you may know that the book of Leviticus contains in it a lot of descriptions of the different sacrifices that God called Israel to give. Now, towards the end of this book, we find chapter 23, and in this chapter, God gives Israel some feasts. Now, unless your name is Scrooge, you love feasts, right? You love holidays. Well, in verse 4, we read Leviticus 23, verse 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So here we're going to find God giving us the feasts in a full calendar year. This is God's calendar. This is God's year. And I think that we need to think of it as, as, as a play. Okay. Now what happens in a play? Well, in a play you have an act one. And then you've got intermission, and then you've got Act 2. Well, that's what we'll see in Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to find Act 1, which has in it the spring feasts. Now, we'll go through them together, and we'll learn together, and see that Act 1 spring feasts point to past events. What comes after Act 1? Well, we've got intermission. Now, intermission, that's the summer, and there are no feasts in the summer. And then we've got Act 2. Act 2 is the fall feasts. The fall feasts, we'll see, point to future events. Okay, now, before we begin, i got to say that, you know, each one of these feasts are extremely rich. You can actually write an entire book. You can give an entire sermon series on each one of these feasts. But we don't have such time today. So today we're just going to take um, a high look, a 30,000 feet view, and we'll go quickly 
through all of these feasts, okay? So, Calvary, are you ready? Are you ready to begin? Okay, well, here we go. We start with the first spring feast. We begin with Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Look in your Bibles, verse 5. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Passover is the Feast of Redemption, where we tell the story of Exodus, how God brought us out of Egypt. And during this feast, traditionally, we share a Passover meal. We call it a Seder meal. Seder means order. Now, during the time of Passover, we eat no, we eat only unleavened food. We don't eat any leaven. It's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Look at verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, you need to know that Jesus' last supper was a Passover Seder meal. Jesus in the Last Supper, was celebrating Passover. Now, today, during this meal, during this Passover meal, we've got a lot of different traditions. For example, we have a tradition of drinking from four cups. We begin with the first cup, which is the cup of sanctification, consecrating and denying the Passover meal to the Lord. Then we have the second cup. The second cup is called the cup of plagues, where we recite the ten plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. The final plague was the firstborn slain. How were we saved from this final plague? Well, we were saved because of the blood of the lamb, right? The, we, we were instructed to take a lamb, to sacrifice it, not to break any of its bones, but to kill it, and then to take the blood of the lamb and to place it on the doorposts of our homes. Now, during Passover meal we take what is called an afikomen. Afikomen means that which comes later, and that is a piece of unleavened bread of matzah that we take it together with the third cup. Now, the third cup is called the cup of redemption. So we take this piece of matzah, we break it into small pieces, we give it to each person around the Passover table, and before we eat it, we say, wow, this signifies for us the lamb, the body of the lamb. And we take it together with the third cup, the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption represents the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed. So we've got the body of the lamb and the blood of the lamb. The lamb that saved us from the tenth plague. And why did God save us? Because he saw the blood on our doors and he forced death to pass over. So both the piece of matzah and the third cup, they're taken together after dinner. Now in Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus celebrating Passover, verses 19 and 20. And he, Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus took this feast of Passover and he said, Hey, this feast of Passover is all about me. It all points to me as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Passover points to Jesus' death for our sins. And that brings us to the next feast. The next feast, look at Leviticus 23, verses 10 and 11. Bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. This feast is called the Feast of First Fruits. And this feast was instituted when the nation of Israel was still wandering in the desert. The Passover lambs were sacrificed on the 14th day of the first month, which began at sundown on the 13th day of the month. And the Feast of First Fruits was on the 16th day, three days later. Now we find Jesus celebrating the Passover. He goes to the cross. And on the 16th day of the first month, three days after his death, Jesus raises from the dead on this feast, the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits symbolizes Jesus' resurrection. And you know the Apostle Paul, he knew this. He understood this perfectly. Look at what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. First fruits from the dead. That's Jesus. That's the resurrection. The feast of first fruits gives us a picture of the resurrection. That leads us to the next feast. Look at verses 15 and 16. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. This is called the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot in Hebrew. Another name for it is Pentecost. And it occurs 50 days or 7 weeks after Passover. Now, Pentecost is a harvest celebration. It commemorates God's provision and sustenance for His people. And this feast involved a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it involved the first fruits offerings at the temple. Now, the Feast of Weeks in Jewish tradition, it's the time when Moses received the law from God at Mount Sinai. Therefore, the Ten Commandments are read in synagogues today. Also, traditionally, on the day of this feast, King David was born, and also the day of the feast is the day that he died. Therefore, in synagogues today, we read the book of Ruth, Ruth being David's great-grandmother. And Ruth, the book of Ruth also has in it this theme of harvest, which is central to this feast. Now, in this feast, traditionally, we eat milk products because the rabbis say that when our people received the law, they were as newborn babies, just receiving and learning the law. Now, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, is actually mentioned for us in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost in the New Testament, this is the giving of the gospel. God's grace revealed through the living word. When the Holy Spirit came unto the disciples in tongues of flames, they began speaking other languages. They were preaching the gospel to the Jews who had come to Jerusalem from every nation to observe this feast. And it's very interesting to realize that Peter seemed to know this tradition that King David was born and that he died on this feast. Because when we read Peter's sermons in in Acts chapter 2, we find that Peter is using the prophecies of David in the Psalms to speak of the resurrection of Jesus. So, what happens as the gospel goes forwards in Acts chapter 2? Well, a mighty revelation, a revival occurs during this day. And about 3,000 Jewish people understand the truth of Peter's words. And they become followers of Jesus. So, this feast of Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church. It begins this age, the age of the church. And for us right now, it also ends the spring feasts. So what did we see in the spring feasts? Where do they point to? They point to past events. Really, all the events all around the first coming of Messiah and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So what do we have after the spring? Well, we've got the summer. Act 1 is complete. We have intermission. This is the time of us. This is the age of the church, the time that we're currently living. Because right now we live in between, right? We live in between the two comings of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here, but not yet. We're living in the summer. Now, the summer is a time for labor, and we'll talk more about this shortly. But let's move on to the rest of the feasts, okay? The fall feasts. The next one is found in Leviticus 23, verse 24. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets. Now, today this feast is actually known as the Jewish New Year. It's known as Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. Where does the Jewish New Year come from? Well, it actually comes because the current Jewish calendar was actually brought by the Jewish people who left exile from Babylon. It's the Babylonian calendar, which is a lunar calendar, which begins, the year begins in the fall. And hence, today, still the Jewish New Year begins in the fall. Now, for us... We just started the year 2021, but for Jewish people who follow the Jewish calendar, the Jewish New Year actually happened on September 18th at sundown, and that's when the year 5,781 began. Now, what do we do traditionally? Well, we eat apples dipped in honey so that we would have a sweet New Year, but the main part is what we read in Scripture. 
we blow the trumpets. We blow those trumpets that are called shofar. Biblically, that is what this feast is all about. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. God said that we are to blow the trumpets. Now, why? Why did God tell us to blow the trumpet? Well, He told us to blow the trumpet because back then we didn't have alarm clocks and we didn't have iPhones with calendars. We didn't even have calendars themselves. And God told us to blow the trumpets to call the nation of Israel to come and prepare for the holiest day of the year, the most important, the most significant day of the year, the Day of Atonement, which occurs 10 days later. So God say, blow the trumpets to call the nation of Israel to come to Jerusalem to take part in repentance for their sins, to restore their souls. Church, it's all about souls. Now, at the sound of trumpet, all of Israel had to drop everything and begin the long journey to Jerusalem to participate in the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement. So, imagine with me for a second. Imagine that you live in Israel during the Second Temple. And imagine that you're working in the fields. And, you know, your wife... And is home preparing dinner. The kids are running around. And, you know, you've kind of noticed that, um, you know, um, the weather is changing a bit. You notice that it's no longer so hot. So you know it's coming. But you don't have an iPhone to tell you what's the date on the calendar. But you know it's the fall. You know that the weather is a bit cooler. But still, you're working. You're doing your thing. But then, all of a sudden... You hear this shofar blast, this trumpet blast. And when you hear it, what do you do? Well, you drop everything. You drop everything. And if you're wise and if you're prepared, you, you start, you grab your stuff, you grab your family, and you begin the journey to Jerusalem. Now, church, what does that remind you? What does this scene remind you? Well, for me, it reminds me of the rapture. Because you see, one day we will be going along our ways. When we hear the trumpet sound, the trumpet blast. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So, what did we just read? One day, you and I, we're going to be doing our own thing. Maybe I'm sitting in traffic, maybe at work, maybe at home, whatever. When all of a sudden we will hear the blast of the trumpet, and then we will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. That's the symbol of the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets symbolizes for us, it gives us this amazing clear picture of the rapture of the church leading us to the next feast, verses 27 and 28. Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourself. And you shall not do any work on that very day. 
For it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. So the nation of Israel was gathered in Jerusalem for judgment and repentance. The high priest served as a mediator. And this was the one time during the year when he would enter the Holy of Holies to put the blood of the sacrificial animal on the altar as a sin offering. Now, um, during first temple period, we did this. And also during second temple period, we did this. And, 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 you know, there were two goats that were brought. One goat would be sacrificed, but the other goat would be sent away. It was called the scapegoat. That goat that was sent away was to symbolize that we're sending our sins away, never to return. So before entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest would take this goat and he would lay his hands on this goat and to symbolically put all of his sin and Israel's sins on this one goat. And then they would show it, send it away, never to return to Jerusalem again. Now, the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So what do we do now? How do we celebrate today um, the Day of Atonement? Well, we don't give sacrifices anymore. We don't have a scapegoat anymore. You see, this is when the split happened, when Judaism really stopped being biblical. This is when the rabbis came up with modern-day Judaism. And what they say is that while there is no temple, we get atonement for our souls by doing good deeds, by praying, by fasting. But we know that that's not true. We know that that hope that they have is a false hope. They've got this hope that fasting, praying on that one day will be enough to atone for our souls. But we know that that's not true, church. We know that we still need sacrifices. We need the sacrifice. We need the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world once and for all. We need to have faith in that Lamb of God, in the Messiah of Israel, in Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, for us, for the church, this Day of Atonement symbolizes for us, what will be the most important day? What for us will be the holiest day, the most significant day, our future hope, the day that we are all looking forward to, the day of the return of Jesus. What a glorious day that would be. And I got to ask, church, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? Are you ready for that day of atonement? Are you ready? That day would be a day of judgment and of supplication and a day where all of Israel will be saved. What a glorious day that would be. Leading us, of course, to the next feast, verse 34. On the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days, is the Feast of Tabernacles to the Lord. So the Feast of Tabernacles begins after the harvest. After a lot of hard work, you get to rest. This feast is a time to rejoice. To rejoice in what God has provided for you. During this feast, we give sacrifices to the Lord every day of the feast. We live in booths. Why? Why do we live in booths for seven days? Well, verse 43 so that your generations may know that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
Now, we actually find Jesus celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles, and you can read all about it in John chapter 7 and 8, and we find that Jesus says some amazing things about himself during this feast. In John 7, verses 37 and 38, Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying here, I am the living water. And if you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. Listen, I am the living water. Come to me. You won't thirst again. I would supply all. I, I, I will take care of your thirst forever and ever. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, hey, you need light. Well, come to me. Come and believe in me. You won't know darkness. You will have the light of life. These famous statements were made during the Feast of Tabernacles. And church, if you recognize it or not, one day we're all going to be celebrating this feast together. Listen to Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. One day we're all going to be celebrating this great feast together. It will be a festival for all nations, all people gathered worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow, I don't know about you, but I can't wait. So that's the end of God's calendar. That's the end of our feast. So let's summarize real quickly. And we've got the spring feasts. The feast of Passover and unleavened bread, picture of the crucifixion. Messiah Jesus as our redemption. Feast of first fruit symbolizing the resurrection of Jesus. The Feast of Pentecost symbolizes the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Spring feast, past events, right? Spring feast, past events. Then we've got the fall feast, Feast of Trumpets symbolizing the rapture. The Day of Atonement symbolizing the second coming and the judgment that will come with it. The Feast of Tabernacles symbolizing the millennium reign of Messiah. Fall feast, future events. Fall feast, future events. So, what does all of this mean to you and I? I mean, who cares, right? What difference does this make to my life today? Well, let me say that right now, during our age, during our time, I think that we're living in the most crucial time Ever. You say, well, of course, I get it. I mean, you know, um, what happened last week in the Capitol with all the political unrest, with the inauguration coming up, with COVID still around. Look at the Middle East. Have you heard of the Abrams Accords? You know, um, there is peace now in the Middle East between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain and Sudan. And now Morocco has, has added themselves as well to the mix here. So, of course, we live in crucial times. And I got to say that these are all true, but that's not what I'm referring to. Church, we're living in a crucial time 
not because of all these events. We live in a crucial time because we are in the summer. Now you say, well, I don't really feel like it's the summer, it's really hot out, but I'm not talking about the weather. We live in the summer because we are in between the two comings. We're after Jesus' first coming, but before His second coming. So the kingdom of God is here, but not yet. We live in the summer. We live in between. We're in the summer. And what do you do in the summer? Well, in the summer you work in the fields. I'm not talking about agriculture. I'm talking about people. Here is the point. The lesson is that above everything else, God cares about people. It's no coincidence that we are now in the summer season. What do we do in the summer? We labor. Labor for what? Labor for souls. Every soul matters to God. Above everything else, God values people. All people's lives matter. I really believe today, as the body of Messiah, this is a message that we desperately need to hear and to be reminded of. I mean, think about it. Leviticus 23, way before Jesus came, God was communicating to Israel and through Israel to the world. What? He was giving them a full picture of redemptive history, a full picture of the gospel, past, present, and future. God was was giving a future hope to the nation of Israel and to the world. It was all about communicating the gospel. It's all about the amazing love and grace of God for people. People matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us as well. So as the evangelical church, we desperately need to be reminded that Jesus came and died on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world for us, for people. Jesus died for people. Jesus gave his life on the cross for souls. And Jesus is coming back for people. He's coming back for souls. The big so what for us today, the difference that this makes and what this means for us here at Calvary, what it means for us both as individuals, followers of Christ, and as the church, is that we have a decision to make. And the decision we have to make is simply this. Are we going to exhibit the value system of the Lord, of Jesus? Are we going to open our arms to people of every race, of every creed, from every economic situation, from every background, committing every sin known to men, even though it gets a little messy? Are we going to be like the apostles, like the disciples? Or are we going to insulate ourselves from all of this? That's not, just, not, that's not just a question for us as a church. It's a question for us as individuals as well if we're followers of Christ. I mean, the bottom line is, are we going to fulfill the Great Commission? Are we going to make disciples? My question to you and to my question to myself is, do we have the courage to preach the gospel in this day, in this age, in this culture right now? I don't know about you, but I say yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Do you agree with me? Now, do we have open arms for people so we can encourage their sinful behavior? No, absolutely not. 
but we do have open arms for them so that we can tell them about Jesus, so that we can show them the grace of God, the love of God, so we can love them and serve them and see them give their lives to Christ. See Christ make them into a new creation in Him and see them get eternal life. Yes, we have room for people for that purpose. Therefore, one of our values must be people matter to God, so they matter to us. We've got to project this value. We've got to project the true heart of God. We've got to project to the people the true value system of God. We've got to project to people that God's value system is not about money. It's not about power. It's not about politics. And it's not about vaccination or pandemics. No, it's about people. It's all about helping people. It's about redeeming people. That's the message of the Feast of the Lord. That is the message of the Gospel. That's our job, to make disciples of every nation. And you know what? If we can communicate this value to the people around us, that that is what we care about, that we care about people, then we will get the opportunity to share Christ with a whole bunch of them. And I believe that we will see people come to faith in Christ. Let me say in closing that an important factor in this is perseverance. Let me explain. Does everybody here in New Jersey want to hear what we're telling them? No, of course not. Not everybody even in the United States is interested in the gospel and in what we're trying to share with them. But you know, our job is not their response. Our job is to keep on reaching out and keep on loving them and keep on serving them and bathing all of this in prayer and keep on reaching out and loving them and serving them in the hope that eventually some of these people will really believe that we are here for them when they do we will get a chance to share Christ with them. So, this is our calling. This is our mission. This is our mandate. God is calling us to evangelism, to making disciples, to sharing the gospel, to going around and telling people what God has done and who He is. We're doing it all for the glory of God until Jesus comes back. Amen? So, church, let's go out there and tell people who Jesus really is. And what he's really, and what he really cares about, which is really them. So let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reminder today that we as Christians, that we as your body, as the evangelical church, um, desperately need to be reminded. Lord, that you didn't leave us here to pursue money, power, or influence in this world system. But you left us here to pursue people, to love on people, to help people, to care for people with the value system and the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us as a church focused on what you really left us here to do. Lord Jesus, help us keep the main thing, main thing, and not be drawn away by the siren calls of this world. But Lord Jesus, keep us focused on people and on reaching out to them with your love, with your grace. May that be true in our individual lives as well.
Make us to understand that our goal is to go around and tell people what the Lord Jesus has done for us and how He has mercy on us. Sharing with people the gospel. Lord, so I pray that you would change our lives because we are here today, Lord. Keep the life of this church so focused where it needs to be. Lord, thanks for, skip, for, for speaking to us today from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said...